you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. This morning's sermon, we are going to be looking at beginning there. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for your word. We praise you that you are gracious and merciful and kind toward us. And that it's not the strong or the mighty or the good or the great or those who can help themselves who you delight in. But it's the weak, the sinful, the broken, the poor, the lowly, those who crawl to you and look to you and to you only for their help. Oh, Father, may we be those people, those people who, who come to you as broken and weak and really get and understand that we bring you nothing. But in you, we find everything that we need. We pray, Father, this morning that you would feed us. you would work in us and we and we know that you will because you've promised and so we boldly this morning place our hope our trust and our confidence in your word and your promise and we look to you to feed us for we ask this in christ your beloved son amen well so far in this series that we're in we have actually covered quite a bit. We started in September, and here we are now in February, still going strong. And it has been a, a journey to look at the seven realities of what it means to follow the will of God, the seven realities of experiencing God, walking with God. How do we as God's people walk with him in a way that pleases him? And we have actually, uh, we've covered a lot of ground, covered a lot of detail in looking at these seven realities. There's much more that could be said about it. There's mo- more diving in we could do. And I'm sure there's still a lot of questions we have. But so far, we've done, what we've done is really looked at the whole process. So there's a visual that our good friend Joel Eby masterfully put together for us that we're going to look here. And this is, kinda, this is a, a visual that is actually uh, similar to the one that's in the book that you've been reading. And what I want us to see here is hopefully, if you're a visual person, you like visuals. You think, oh, this is so helpful. It's so helpful to see it all put together. Because what we have here is the process that we've looked at, these seven realities. And as you could see, God on the top, God's at work. And that big arrow, that's what it's represent. God's at work in the world. He is always at work. He's performing his will. He is doing what he's doing in the world. God is at work. And God, what he does is he involves us in this work. He brings us into it. He has a plan for us. But the very first thing, as we note here, the second reality is that God, the primary thing that he's concerned with is that we, he have a relationship with us. And a relationship that's built on trust and love. That's fundamental. If God is going to use us, if we're going to experience God and we're going to walk with him and walk according to his will, the fundamental thing we have to realize is that the place we begin is with a relationship. It's just not, forget the relationship, let's get busy working. Let's God, just, you just use me. Do great things through me. I just want you to, you know, here I am, but who cares about the relationship? And here's the fundamental problem. What will happen if we do not focus on a relationship with God and grow in our love and trust in him? We will not follow him or obey him. You can't trust someone and obey someone who asks you to do crazy things. 
You can't do dangerous things. You can't walk into lion's dens. You can't go and, and even do the things that he's calling you to do and, and asking you to do until you, first of all, love and trust him. So this is fundamental, the relationship. And then we, as we looked at, God reveals his will to us. And as a subset of that revelation, uh, it's how God speaks to us through his word, through prayer, through the body of Christ and through the circumstances. We looked at all of that. God is speaking to us. He's, he's informing us. He's letting us know who he is, who we are, what his will is for our lives, and so that we know what it is we're to do. And so we looked at that. And all, in every case, what happens? When God reveals his will to you, it always comes with a crisis of belief. Because when God asks you to do something, when he calls you to what it is he's called you to do, you know what happens immediately? You realize, gulp. That's too big. That's too far. That's too much. I can't. I don't have it. Bingo. You're absolutely right. And because of that, it requires a person must go forward and they must absolutely trust God for what it is they need. It's a crisis of belief. And at that point, a lot of people abort. They say, no, there's no way. I mean, God, uh, you're asking me to do something that's just too, it's too beyond me. You're right. But it isn't beyond me, he says. And so when we choose to follow, and again, it loops back to the relationship. There's no way we're going to do this unless we love him and trust him. And we know that he's, he's faithful, Right? And then we have to adjust things in our lives, and we looked at that. And then finally, once we make the adjustments necessary to obey, and we step forward in faith, and we obey the Lord, what happens? We experience his presence and power in ways we never have before. And that's really what we looked at. This is really the Christian life and how we're to walk with God. God is at work in the world, and he wants us to be at work with him in the world. But there's a way... That we have, there's a series and, and realities that we must go through in order to get there. And so I, hopefully this helps you to see the visual of kind of what we've covered. But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at, you could, that can, uh, we'd be done with that now. We are going to look at some of the, in that process, some of the roadblocks that come in our way. The things that cause us at times to pause or to wonder or to question. Those roadblocks that when we hit, we often get very confused Because you know what, in walking and following God, have you noticed that sometimes, or perhaps even a lot of times, there's confusion? You're not exactly sure. You're at a point of confusion. And these are like roadblocks. And so this morning, I want us to look at them. And to begin with, one of the roadblocks we encounter is, that, is what seems like a closed door and can often be interpreted as God me- telling us to stop the whole thing, that we need to quit. And so we need to understand them properly. We've looked at Acts 16 before, and we've looked, uh, read this passage as part of the, what we've went through in the past. But I want us this morning to look at it again, Acts 16, because it serves as a good example of what I'm talking about, how Paul understood what God was doing as he encountered these closed doors. Paul was a man, and clearly, was he not? Was not Paul called to, to preach the gospel to Gentiles? That's obvious, isn't it? That's so clear. He was, he was given a calling. So that wasn't in question. Paul was given a calling to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But 
as he did this, along the way, he would run into all kinds of closed doors, so to speak, where he knew that obviously this, I'm, this was not, not what I'm supposed to be doing. But this, didn't mean one, this did not mean this. Paul did not conclude from these closed doors, oh, this means I must abort the mission. Somehow, you know, question is calling. Maybe I'm not supposed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Maybe this whole thing is just a figment of my imagination. Maybe I'm being dumb. Maybe I should just head back home and start another job. He never aborts the mission, but he does step back, and he does realize a closed door from God, and then he he realizes, well, that's clearly not what God wants me to do in this mission. And here's how it's recorded in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. They went throughout the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, what does he do? Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now this is clearly some closed doors in Paul's ministry. He was forbidden to go to Asia. He's forbidden to go to Bithynia. And it didn't mean that, okay, Lord, Obviously, these doors are closing on me. So he doesn't conclude, this must mean you don't want me to preach the gospel at all. This doesn't mean I need to abort my mission. He, this, this must mean a, a, an issue of where and when. So he pulls back. He goes to Troas. And there, when he's in Troas, he's waiting on the Lord. Where should we go next? The Lord gives him a vision. He goes to Macedonia. And so there he goes. He goes to Macedonia. Clearly, he had some roadblocks along the way, and it was, it was, if that happened to you and you were in the middle of it, you, you don't know exactly where you're to go, but one thing you do know is you're not to go there. But now, where do you go? I don't know. Let's just head. We're not to head there, so let's head over to Troas, and let's wait on the Lord and see what he has for us. Paul recognized God was just merely, he was closing a door in one area of his ministry. He was not shutting the door on his ministry. But sometimes we get confused. We encountered a a closed door and we think it means we're to stop the ministry, stop the mission, stop what we've been called to do, stop the business, stop the work. And we can even ask questions about like you're hitting roadblocks and they seem like closed door. God, do you want me to do this even? Where, what's going on? Why the resistance? Why the closed doors? What are you doing? We cannot conclude and misunderstand a roadblock like this and think that it means that what God has called you to needs to change. Often, what we're doing doesn't need to change if, if we're obeying the calling. But the whens and the wheres can create the confusion. And we do need to step back and evaluate. Because whenever the Lord has called you to do, it will bring with it many closed doors. You can guarantee it. Whatever you're called to do, you're going to run into roadblocks, difficulties, and it will become very confusing. What should you do at that point? We should step back, seek the Lord, 
and seek him about how exactly he wants us to proceed. But at the same time, keep anchored to what God has called us to do. And so if God has called you to be in business, but you're experiencing all kinds of closed doors, you shouldn't abandon the business. You should simply step back, seek the Lord, seek the body of Christ, seek other counsel, seek wisdom, and continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding of what it is you need to do of the business until you know what to do next, until it becomes clear. But what do we do when God seems silent? What do we do when we, he doesn't seem to direct us? What do we do when we're seeking the Lord, but Lord, where are you? You ever read that? Well, that's another roadblock when God seems silent. So I got, not only do I have closed doors, not only I don't know what to do, I don't know, I don't know when or where to go, I'm confused, but I'm seeking the Lord, and you know what else? It's like, hello, anybody home? And if you read the Psalms much, you'll see that sometimes David felt this way. David, the psalmist, even for the psalm that was read for us this morning, Psalm 44, he was saying, hello, God, do you even care? Where are you? In Psalm 10, David prays, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why? Wake up, O God, please. And this is David crying out to God as he looks around him and he sees the evil and the wicked prospering. He sees the poor being destroyed. He sees the unrighteous receiving nothing but blessing for their lying, scheming, cheating ways. Why do they just... It's like, God, don't you see what's going on? What his eyes see don't seem to correspond with what God has said. Do you ever find that? What you see going on doesn't seem to jive with what God has promised. And that creates incredible tension in our lives. And, And then you're praying, you're seeking the Lord, and you're wondering what's going on. Don't you ever feel like that sometimes? God seems like he's nowhere to be found. He doesn't seem to be responding or making things happen or making things clear at all. We're confused. So what do we do? Well, I think the church in Peter's day was experiencing some of this. Theirs was a different situation. Obviously, there was a church under persecution. And here's how Peter responds to them in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is part of the problem we have with God. He doesn't relate to time the way we do. And in addition to that, he's incredibly merciful. 
we think God must be asleep, must be unconcerned, must be unaware, or something. Because he doesn't seem to want to do anything. He just seems to be absent. And, and we look, have you ever look at things going on around you? If things are tough in your life, or like, look what's happening in the nation, and, and then you pray and you're seeking God. It's like, hello, is, is, what's going on? God, do something, please. Yeah, think of it this way. From the time that God gave this promise to Abraham to the time it was fulfilled in Jesus, it was approximately 2,000 years. But to God, that felt like two days. That was a long time. For anybody who lived through that, God, for God to fulfill his promise for Jesus to come, like he promised Abraham, God, you take forever. Yeah, I mean, 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. Four days to God. That's what it would have felt like. So just imagine for a moment this was your experience. And if a 1,000 years was like one day to you, and you respond in a couple months or a couple years, wouldn't you be acting rather quickly? That'd be like a nanosecond. We're, we're talking different time frames, different time schedules. God And God does pity, pity us. He's merciful to us. Peter's telling us, listen, folks, you need to understand. You need to understand that God isn't slow in the way that we count slowness. In fact, when you understand God, he's, rather kind, he's kind of quick. But he, he, he tries to relate to us, and he knows our weakness, and he knows our frame. And so he is acting quickly. But to him, he's always saying to us, slow down. Not so much of a hurry. And this is why we run into problems with God and his answers to our requests. We think he's moving way too slowly, and sometimes he needs to act now. God, what are you doing? So what are we to do? What are we to do when God seems silent and we want an answer and it seems like it's taking forever? You guessed it. Wait. What? Yeah, wait. But not passively, actively. We need to take care of daily business. So when I say the word wait, it doesn't mean you wait and then you go hide in a closet and you don't come out until you hear something. There's too many things going on in life. You need to take care of daily business. We need to be actively praying, seeking counsel from others, and continuing to prepare ourselves. You know, it's kind of like the military. The military, as they're preparing for battle, but hasn't received the orders from the general yet. If you're preparing for battle, but you haven't received orders yet, you don't go around you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, and laying in your hammock. Perhaps you do, but you're a fool if you do that. They usually keep you trained up. They keep the equipment ready. They keep it prepared. They keep, they keep everything buttoned up and tight, and you're ready to go. You're going through mock drills. You're going through training. Why? Because you're keeping active waiting. Because you know that one day the orders are going to come and then you need to actively engage. In the same way, this is exactly what we should be doing before God as we wait on him. 
We should be busy preparing, busy listening, busy seeking counsel, busy training, busy taking care of daily business. We should be busily waiting. So sometimes we can hear the word waiting and it means, it just think it means total passivity, don't do anything. Well, there's lots of stuff to do, but there's, a, there's certain things that we have to wait on because we're seeking the Lord and waiting on his counsel. And part of the problem is that we also don't understand that in order for us to move forward with God, in order for us to go where we need to go, there can be, a, there can be things in us that he needs to work on first, but we don't get it or understand it. And this presents the third roadblock that I want us to look at. And it's that when we're not faithful with the little things, often this creates problems, and often God will, first of all, deal with us. Have you ever been anxious to get going, to get somewhere, to get to a destination, to be used, for God to do something, and you're just like, hurry up already. But you yourself, you don't even know how unprepared you are. God is perfect. He's loving. He's wise. He's gracious. And when he looks at you and he says, not yet my son or my daughter. You've got some things you need to work on. You're not yet faithful with the little things. Luke 16, Jesus said that he who is faithful with the little things will be faithful with much. And he who's unfaithful with the little will be unfaithful with much. And I would have to say that this is the, probably the most common reason why God isn't using us in greater ways. We always want to be used in greater ways. We're often like the 35-year-old who lives on his mom's couch, who's, who's holding out for a management position. We're convinced, we're convinced we would be the best leader around if God would just give us the chance. Because I'm so good at seeing, when I look at everyone else, I, can, I notice what others do wrong. I know exactly what should be done. I'm just so good at analyzing things. Boy, I'd be a good leader. And because we're so easily self-deceived, we think, we think, it's just a matter of time before someone notices. Surely someone's going to see this potential. And they're going to see how, how sharp I really am. But until then, let's hold out. Yet we don't even notice that we have troubles taking care of the little things. Isn't that, isn't that how it works? We don't notice that... We have troubles taking out the trash and keeping consistent at it. We have troubles with the little things so often. We have troubles keeping a regular quiet time with God, being in the Word consistently, praying, listening to God, having this time where we meet with the Lord. Just try to do that consistently and we find how difficult it is. Those are little things. Yeah, I tell you what, I could be a leader. That's how we think. We have troubles doing the little things, yet our minds go to the great things, and that's where we want to be. We, God, use, a, use me greatly, oh God. Let me, let, together, God, we could shake the kingdom of hell, and we could bring the kingdom of God, and we could, we could do great things. But just think of how little effort we put into our marriages, into child-rearing, or taking care of things around the house. 
The problem we have with these little things is they're so darn little, and they go so easily unnoticed, and they certainly don't spark our interest. Little things? Well, gee, aren't there great things we could take care of? These little things are so monotonous and boring and mundane. And Yeah, well, first of all, just get good at maybe take care of your room. Maybe clean up your room. You can't take care of your room, yet you want to take care of the planet. Oh, if I could be king for a day. Yeah, but you can't pick up your underwear. <laughs> These little things are like... The little things are much like that box in the closet. It goes unnoticed. It's not causing too much of a problem. You know you need to go through it, but it can wait. And that's what we do with the things that are unnoticed. They're not urgent. They're not flashing. What we do with them often is like, ah, push them off. We can, they can wait. Well, it's, it's these little things that we... we we train ourselves to become unfaithful in holding out for these great things. And often it's what God wants to do is work on us so we start to learn to take care of the little things. Oh, but that's so hard. Yeah, so what are we to do? What, what should we do? You're sitting here this morning like, I have a hard time with those little things. I have a hard time with the mundane. I have a hard time with the stuff that you just have to take care of and I don't like it. But I tell you, I'd do a great job if it was great. It was big. Well, no, you wouldn't, because the bigger it is, the more little things to take care of. So now you have this little world with little things in it. Imagine a big world with tons of little things in it. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the little things. I tend to do that. Like anything that doesn't naturally grab our attention, it's easy to put off. We have to get excited about the results, not the work. And if you look at scripture, one of the things God does, what does he always hold out in front of his people? Reward, 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 reward. It's all throughout scripture. But the reward always comes later. He's calling his people to hold off now for the great things later. And so what God wants us to hope for, to long for, to get excited about, is not the mundane, but the result about the end, about what comes, as, comes from it. Let me explain how, what I mean by this with an example. I think this should relate to, to a lot of people who've ever tried this. But if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to stick with it and get in really good shape, you have to get and you have to remain excited about your end result and be convinced that you can actually achieve it. In other words, you have to become passionate about what you will look like and you will feel like in the end. Otherwise, all you see are weights, treadmills, sweat, and draining hard work. And that's never fun, is it? The people who hang out and hang in and stick with the exercise... And appear on the outside, those people are so disciplined. I could, be never, and I could never be that disciplined. These are people who are very much into the end result, the reward at the end. They regularly look at pictures 
and dream of how amazing it will be to look and feel that way. They think about the end. They're excited about what it will feel like, look like. They, they, can see, they can see themselves in the mirror and imagine how wonder, wonderful their body will feel. And, and the, extent, the, the reward, the, the, the anticipation of what they'll have excites them. But those who fail to last more than a couple weeks, couple days, couple months in the gym, waste a bunch of money on the membership, all they do is see a treadmill and they think, I hate you. Work. Ugh. Look at the weights. and think, That's exercise. That's no fun. Who likes that? And you get on there and you're, you're going for like five minutes and you think, this is the worst thing ever. Why? Who... You know, eating donuts is fun. <laughs> That's enjoyable. But that, that person has lost sight of the end, the, the reward, what it is they're doing. Because you have to be so excited about that that you're dreaming about that while you're running and thinking about the end. And you know, this is, this, you realize that Jesus functioned like this. Hebrews 11 says that for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. That's why God set the whole world up this way. That reward and what he's offered to you, why do you think you would, why do you think you would cash in the world with all of its benefits and pleasures and, and not give in to them in order for you to live for the life that is to come? Because it's going to get worse? Because the end is such a bummer? Because the end has no reward? No, Jesus says, you don't even understand how great it will be. If you're willing to suffer the loss now, woo, you've got something amazing coming later. We're built like that. And if people who are really good at imagining and dreaming and longing, what long, if you really long for the resurrection and your hope was in the life that it was to come, you would invest in it. You would go for it. You would live for it. But if, you're, if your hope and your dreams and your life is wrapped up in this world and the things in this world, do you think you'll cash those in and you think you'll go for the, to invest in the life that's come? Never. You watch people who get passionate about the things in this world and they have a clear vision and they're excited and they're like, oh man, I am going to be retired by the time I'm 25 and be living on the islands and they're just getting excited about everything that they could have and dream about and they're just going for it. I hope you enjoyed it because it's soon over and you're going to be gravely disappointed. And that's why Jesus comes along and says, you know, if you're going to get, if you're going to be faithful with the little things, you really have to have a clear and passionate picture of the future. You have to foresee the fruit. You have to, and you've got to like it, and it's got to excite you, and you've got to think about the greatness of it. It's like he who sets his mind on things above the good things, the glorious things, the wonderful things, inflames his heart and allows him to live today for that. He can look at the treadmill and he can say, let's go. So you don't, you know, that's even the benefit of like, have you ever noticed this? Think of your own life. You get into the grind. The grind is difficult, right? Do you realize that the grind of homeschooling the grind of childbearing, the grind of marriage, the grind of life, it can be a lot like a treadmill. I don't like this. 
I am tired. I am like done. And all we're doing is we're staring at the bad kid. We're staring at the the messy house. We're staring at the mess around us. We're like, work. Yuck. You know that person has done? They've lost the picture. They've lost the end. They've lost the vision. They've lost what it is they're, they're, they're doing this for. They're no longer excited about what God has for them in the end. You watch people who, get, who sit under somebody who's motivating them, getting excited about what things could be in the future and what it will look like and how it will conquer and how things will be affected, and they just start going, ah, that would be great. And now they're getting motivated, and they run out, and they discharge, and they get busy, and they're doing the work, and they're doing everything, and they're all excited until they, they forget about that, and they start thinking about the work. And all of a sudden, the little things are mundane things, are boring things, are... Nasty things. Who's got time for that? Who wants to do that? So it isn't that you're just undisciplined. That's what, have you ever sold yourself out on that one? I'm just undisciplined. I just, those little things, I just can't get into them. If I was like that person who just loves the little things, that's all I need, just love the, love the grind. Nobody loves the grind. But there's people who are more than willing to, to get in the grind f- for the fruit, for the reward, for the result. And if they keep their eyes fixed on the prize, if they're like Jesus for the joy that was set before him, they'll endure the cross. Jesus doesn't ask you to come to a cross because, man, it's so fun on the cross. You know, take a, die to yourself. I don't, no reason, just die. It's just a great, just die. That's all I'm asking you to do is die to yourself. See, that's not what he, how he ever talks. If he's calling you to die to yourself, he's, what he presents to you is something much greater, and you will gain your life and life to the fullest. Oh, okay. Now all of a sudden the cross makes sense. But what we lack is the passion for that desired future, that desired reward, the end, and we, and we lose that completely and we focus on the work. And so no, we're no longer faithful with the little things. Who could be? Who would want to be? Just for the sake of grinding? And remember this. Remember that being faithful with the little things is something that God will train in us before he ever sets us into great things. Do you realize he's a loving Heavenly Father? He's like, you still, let's just go back to school. You need to learn this. Get off the couch. You know, it's like... It, we just love laziness. We love, and a lot of it is like we need, to, we need to have our eyes. And if you read the word, God is trying to constantly fix your eyes on greater things. The greater future, the promise, the hope, what is coming. Fix your eyes on, on what he's promised. And from that, that fuels you and you get involved in the mundane, the little things, the details. So if you're not being given greater things, you can almost be certain that you're really not too good at taking care of the little things. And it's what you need to learn. But it also could be that you're simply just running into a closed door that God, and a direction that God does not be going for the time being. So perhaps you need to back up. 
You need to seek the Lord. You need to reevaluate. You need to get some wisdom. And you need to wait actively, taking care of the little things. And if you're waiting and God seems quiet, he seems aloof, he seems distant, he seems like he doesn't care, that's all a lie. It isn't true. Remember, he operates on a different timetable than you. He does not count time the way you count time. And so that's why he can appear this way. But it's not slow according to him. In fact, it's rather quick. So as we go from here this morning, may God grant grace to all of us to seek and to obey him even in the midst of roadblocks when they come our way. And when roadblocks come our way, especially the ones that we've mentioned, maybe we'd be better able to discern them and understand them and know what to do in light of them. But please do not abort the mission. Please do not give up. Please do not think that it means that, oh, this, I just need to turn and go the other direction. Unless, of course, you're walking in sin. And then absolutely. But know that God loves you and he's working on you. And where you're at in life right now is exactly where he wants you to be for the time being to work in you and to reveal himself to you in ways that, he, that wouldn't happen otherwise. And just know with all hope and all assurance that your, your father is good and you can wait on him, you can count on him, and he is going to deliver you. Amen. Amen. Father, we're thankful that you are so good to us. And I ask you to forgive us. We're so short-sighted. We're so unfocused on your promises, on the glory, on the end, on the reward, that we get caught up in the mundane and focusing on that. Father, I also forgive us for being so self-centered in a bad way and for being so much about ourselves and lacking so much faith and trust in you. I ask, Father, that you would Please help us to see you, to know you, to to understand who you are. Open our eyes and our hearts that our hope and our trust and our love would be towards you as we see how much you've loved us and give to us and serve us and bless us. Father, may we see you, delight in you, wait on you, hope in you, and get excited for what it is you have for us as we take care of the little things you've called us to. Grant us grace. We ask this in Christ. Amen.